Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast brought to you by Baldwin Research Institute and the Freedom Model. Addiction experts Mark Sheeran, Stephen Slate, and me, Michelle Dunbar, take on some of the most controversial topics surrounding substance use, addiction, and treatment. If there are topics you'd like to hear us discuss, books you'd like us to review, or specific questions you'd like answered, you can email us at podcast at thefreedommodel.org. That's podcast at thefreedommodel.org. Hi, everyone. Mark and Stephen are both with me today to discuss our number one requested topic, and it's also the number one question we see on Facebook, on the on the leaving AA groups and uh, the non twelve step type groups, and that is moderation. Can people reduce their substance use to non problematic levels? And you know, as we have said, of course, the data shows that they absolutely can. But currently in our society and our culture, it's believed that once someone becomes addicted, regardless of what they're addicted to, the only solution for them is complete abstinence. And that's not just from their substance of choice, but it's from all substance use entirely. I'm, I'm sure you've seen it depicted in popular TV shows like Grey's Anatomy, which I love but can't stand the AA storyline. There's a character that's in recovery from alcohol, and, and you see a, a very dramatic scene where he can't take opiates because he had an alcohol addiction, and now he's got to suffer through all this pain of, of this injury that he had without opiates. And then you see another character who had an opiate problem, and, and you know every time there's this question when she's around people that are drinking and you know she can't even eat anything that's cooked in alcohol and it's this big drama um but what most people don't know is and what they're not told by addiction treatment professionals is that more than half the people who overcome alcohol addiction specifically aren't abstinent they just reduce their consumption um and and most people that overcome addictions i i based on my own you know, experiences, a lot of people that overcome addictions from one substance um, end up you know, going on to moderate other substances and they're very successful. We see that here with people who have uh, left the freedom model. Um, so because of the research and the data we've compiled here at the freedom model, we've already helped thousands of people to completely deprogram from the harmful misinformation they learned in treatment and from 12-step groups. So we've become the leading guide to helping people free themselves once and for all from these beliefs that kept them stuck. Um, and for some people, this includes returning to substance use at some level. But before we go any further, I'm going to take a direct quote from our book, from the Freedom Model for Addictions. It says, to be clear, we are not recommending any substance use whatsoever, and we aren't giving anyone permission to moderate. We have no authority whatsoever to grant or deny anyone permission to do anything. So, I, you know, I want to start with, um, with Mark and Steve talking about why the abstinence-only uh, promotion of that started. Where did that come from? Well, I, let, let me just say something. I'm going to take another quote from the book um, because I'm going to back up a bit before we answer that question. Um, although we don't give permission because we can't, because people have autonomy, we, uh, we want to be unequivocal about our stance on on moderation. So I'm going to read the very first line in the Freedom Model. And I wrote this. 
and it says all people, even those who have a serious drug or alcohol problem, can choose to use moderately, and contrary to popular belief, they can do so successfully. That is a bold statement, and furthermore, it's absolutely true. So we open the book with the great, the great heresy, you know, in, in the recovery-centered culture we live in that, that says that abstinence is the only way. It's the safest way. Uh, it's, the, uh, it's a black and white way to save yourself from, from addiction, right? So, um, so moderation is the topic that ruffles everybody's feathers, which it is does. why we wanted to start the book with the very thing that, that basically freaks everybody out. And, uh, and, and because freedom really is knowing that you uh, have all options available to you. You know, you're not free if, if there's some sort of hammer that's held above your head and uh, there's some drinking option that's, uh, that, that you have no control over. So I want to start with that bold statement. Um, and, and so why, now let's get to the next thing that Michelle just asked. Why is abstinence only, why is that approach so attractive in our culture? You know, where did that come from? That sort of thing. I'll let Steve talk a little bit about that and then, uh, and then we'll jump in. Go ahead, Steve. <clears throat> All right. Well, I don't know exactly where it first came from. Obviously, there's the most notable would be um, AA, right? Saying yep. that al- alcoholics have an allergy to alcohol. Uh, once they have a single drink, the phenomenon of craving takes over and uh, forces them, you know, to just keep going and and can't stop once they start. Um, this has been disproven by a whole bunch of experiments, the priming dose studies. We cover them all in the back of the book, Appendix A, to anybody who's got the book and wants to learn about all that. Um, essentially, there's... There are experiments where people have been given alcohol, <laughs> unbeknownst to them, alcoholics, and yeah. uh, they measured whether they craved or whether they decided to pour themselves more of this drink that they did not know contained alcohol in it. And uh, they don't lose control when that happens. They don't, they don't proceed to just keep going endlessly. Um, and then there's, there's a whole bunch of more studies that establish that. So it's not true, but Alcoholics Anonymous says it. And our culture has embraced it. We've become the recovery culture in the United States. Um, and, uh, and we demand of people who've had problems with drugs or alcohol that they never touch a drop or a hit again. Um, the reason it's so popular is because it makes uh, a very tough thing simple which is, you know, uh, you have a, a son who's drinking too much and causing a ton of trouble relentlessly <laughs> at home. He's fighting with people or he's getting arrested somewhere or he's just not growing up and moving on with his life and, and there's a problem. Now, how do you make that stop? How do you, how do you talk sense into him? That's not easy to do, um, to have these conversations. And also to say you need to drink less is not easy to police among your loved ones. It's not, you know, um, 
how am I going to prove that you only had two drinks last night instead of six? Right. Right. How, how am I going to hold you to, you know, I only want you drinking, you know, after 5 p.m. or on the weekends. Am I going to monitor your every move? It's a heck of a lot easier to say zero tolerance. Right. I think we yeah. talked about this zero tolerance. We in the, did. In the last podcast. So because um, AA, first of all, offered a place where other people would do the talking for you to the person, they've been popular, right? Mm -hmm. And because they've simplified it, they were popular. Their model was popular. It, it, it simplifies things. And you, you can't untie it from the disease model, which really is a sham. There's, yeah. a, there's no disease of addiction, but it's a construct that is helpful in other ways, right? It, makes, it is. It makes these interactions easy because you can come in and say, okay, you've got a disease, you're out of control, you can't touch a drop of nothing, you got to go talk to a professional, or you're kicked out of the house, or we're getting a divorce, or you're going to jail, or whatever it is, right? It, it, it folds everything down into a nice little package. And, um, and also it gives the person who's caused a lot of trouble, the disease model gives them cover for all the trouble that they've caused. It's an excuse. It's a way to say that wasn't me. The substance possessed me. The substance hijacked my free will. It took me over. It made me keep going when I didn't really want to. Um, and so to keep that charade going, um, well, we got to say, well, this person has a special weakness to that substance, right? Yeah. And they can't touch it. They'll lose control. Like if, if we want the benefits of that, which is that it makes it easier to intervene with people and that it uh, forgives us for our past, well, then we got to play it to the hilt. We have That's to true. say, I can't ever touch a drug or alcohol again or I'll lose control. So I think that's why it's popular. Is that too much? No, no, no that, that was a really good I, explanation. I, and I, I wanted to, to take that a step further and say, you know, why do people feel out of control? Because there was a point in time that I did. I felt completely out of control. But of course, I was taught from a young age that if I started drinking, I would be out of control. So, so that belief yeah. system was already ingrained in me. But for people where it's not ingrained in them, although I would argue that the culture does teach kids that yeah. from the young age. Um, you know, now, you know, kids believe that if they, if they have taken opiate for pain, they're going to be, you know, <laughs> they're going to be stealing for heroin, you know, by the time they're 20 years old. So, so, you know, go figure, we have more kids doing that today. Um, but, but the, the whole feel out of control thing is this circle. Well, you know, it's, it's not happenstance that, that in virtually all cultures, this idea of loss of control does exist in some form or another, yeah, okay, to true. various degrees. If you go into the Bible, you can see in Proverbs all kinds of little vignettes about, you know, the spirit of alcohol, right? Right, right. And, it and how it's, uh, yeah, it's a demon and that sort of thing. So uh, culturally, this, is, this, this problem has existed across the world. But, but in America, it's taken root in a different way, um, where you may have seen in ancient cultures this idea of basically don't be boozing it up too much. It's a bad idea. 
is you know basically the the view we have an industry if there was no treatment industry if there was no way to make money at this mm-hmm. in controlling people if it wasn't attractive for families to put their their loved one in a rehab to get them out of the house right right people will spend up to a hundred grand yeah. to get the person out of their house and taken away to the professional even without any verifiable research that says it works think about that so yeah. the the motive for the family and and I don't blame the families I was I was a drunk and I made my my family's life a living hell um, so I get it um, but so th- so there's this this willingness on all participants to play in the charade and I think that's really important it's very attractive in a way to have the person be sick especially for the parents I mean the parents already feel guilty if there's a sickness it takes some of the guilt away now it's not the parents fault the other alternative isn't if it isn't a disease then it's then I was a bad parent those are two sort of false ideas uh, what, what it comes down to is that it's the person's desire and preference for heavy use which gets us right back to moderation. Um, if people, yeah. and right? The, the question is then, you know, can people moderate? Why do they try to moderate and, and fail and return right. right back to that heavy use? If, if they can, why don't they follow through on it, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, that is the question. I mean, we do see it a lot on the, uh, on, you know, the different back and forths on Facebook and on social media about, you know, someone will say, I, you know, I just recently left AA and I, I want to know what, how people moderate. I mean, how, how have people done it on here? And then you, you get the back and forth. You get people that say, oh, I tried it and it was a disaster and I just know for me I can't. And I always cringe at that. I'm like, yeah, that's great that that's your experience. Um, but you're not being honest with yourself. I mean, I want to say that. I don't want to be controversial, but I want to say, you know, the truth of the matter is you don't see any benefits in using less or drinking less. Right. You um, haven't addressed the honesty of why you like to get drunk. Right. So they skip right over that part. And that's what we delve into deeply in the freedom model is you, if you want to moderate, if you truly want to moderate, you can, first of all, um, and you will. Yep. You know, but you won't if you actually want to be drunk out of your mind and you hate the consequences. And so you're saying, I hate the consequences and the costs of getting drunk all the time. I think I'll moderate now. But really, really, in the back of my mind, I just want to be shit faced. Right. You know? right. So if you don't exactly. ad- if you don't address the benefits of being hammered, because people don't get hammered in a vacuum right? They get hammered for a reason. They get hammered because they like it. It takes a lot of effort to, to have a lifestyle of being drunk and all the wrappings and trappings of that. So, uh, so people are funny. They'll say, I, I really want to moderate, but I can't. That's not true. You don't want to. You want to be drunk. You want to be high at a high level. So why don't we have a discussion about the benefits of being very drunk first? Challenge those benefits. Decide if they're really giving you what you think it's giving you. And then make an analysis on whether you truly want to moderate or not. It's a matter of wanting. It's, that, it's not that you can't moderate. You, anybody can moderate. Anybody. doesn't matter how, yeah. how deep their level yeah. of use is. 
Well, so you I'm know, gonna, yeah, I'm going to go give ahead. nuance to, you know, wanting to moderate. Um, <clears throat> I would, I would change the language a little bit and say, do you have a moderate desire? Right. Because we like the idea of moderation, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. But we still crave a ton of substances. You know, it's like if somebody, they want, if, they want to lean on alcohol, let's say, for every time they have a little bit of stress, they want to drink, you know? Mm-hmm. And this ends with them drinking all day, every day, ultimately. And and they say, okay, well, I want to moderate. You know, how do I do that? And, you know, moderation management says something like, you know, put some markers in your pocket, like half dollars. And every, t- you know, you, you get four <laughs> half dollars, you get to have four drinks today. And every time, you know, you have a drink, put one half dollar in the other pocket. It's like, it's like this technique. I would get confused. Right, <laughs> like, like, you know, it's like a technique to count how many drinks. It's like, right. and like, that's not going to change your desire. Nope. You know, if you, you're going to get good at counting. <laughs> you're drunk. You're going to get good at, good at counting drunk. Well, yeah. I mean, we, there is such a thing as behavioral tolerance. There's studies where people become better at drunk driving. Yeah, that's right. right. That's right. <laughs> so, um, but, but yeah, they want a technique, but they're just skipping right over the thing, which is, wow, you know, you're looking at alcohol as a miracle solution right. that you need at every waking moment. So, you know, I think as long as you see it that way, you're probably not going to drink moderately. Exactly. So something about the way you, you see that. You don't have a moderate desire. You have the desire for the magical potion, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's it stems around your relationship with alcohol. I like that you brought up moderation management. I want to I want to talk a little bit about what happened there with with moderation management. A lot of people um, may know the story of the founder of it, which is a tragic, horrible story, um, where where moderation management went terribly wrong was that they still had this uh, belief that there were people that couldn't. Yeah, that is that is toxic. That is, it's 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 the great myth. It's the it's what Steve just described, which is avoiding um, the reality that some people. And I wouldn't call them alcoholics. I call them just people that have a heavy desire to yeah. be drunk. Strong preference. Yeah. yeah. So, so they don't desire to moderate. But once you put the word can't, I yeah. can't moderate, then what happens is that word distracts you from analyzing why you love booze or drugs so much. And does it, uh, do they provide what you believe they provide because if they are a magic potion to you boy that's awfully attractive right i mean why wouldn't you be drunk all the time really you know being drunk all the time that doesn't happen in a vacuum i always say that it happens because you believe it benefits you at some fundamental level and uh and so as long as you hold those beliefs you won't moderate it's not that you can't that you won't because you see no value in it greater. The value of moderating isn't greater to you than the value of being drunk all the time. It's really smart that you hit on the word can't, right? Because it just obliterates like the entire discussion because it makes it about, well, is there some, you know, do I have the allergy? Like AA says, is there something neurologically wrong with me? 
that makes me just keep going once I start, which nobody can even begin to explain how all of a sudden your body becomes animated and starts pouring drinks with, <laughs> without, without your will. And, and again, we can't go into all the research on that, but it is in the appendix, a lot of it. And I definitely encourage people to read that. I always assign that in my first class with people now. But um, it, it sort of, it, it brings things back to, well, I, do I have the willpower to do this, to stop? And it's like, I am a moderate drinker now. I don't want to be on any kind of substance all day, every day, you know? I don't want to be obliterated out of my mind, but I like to have a few drinks. And there's never a point where I'm like, okay, Steve, stop yourself from having the next one. You know, right, right. I'm happy to stop after a few. Right. And, and, and there's no willpower to it. There's no special technique. Now, would I have done that when I came out of the retreat? Uh, 17 years ago would I have done that on day one I don't know you know I don't know exactly what my full mindset towards substances was at that time I decided to go abstinent for a few years but when I did that it was just because I knew that I just wanted a drink you know right and and and, it, and I was not looking to substances as a life solution and um I didn't need them to feel free and uninhibited or any sort of thing. But right. again, all of this, you know, sorting through this, when it when it comes down to can I or can't I, um, you know, you're not fig you're not figuring out what you really want. That's that's true. And why? I I wanna because we're we're running up on time. I also wanted to, we talked a lot about alcohol, but I want to talk about other substances as well, because there's this idea that, well, you know, maybe people can moderate alcohol, but not cocaine and not meth and not heroin. Um, and, and that turns out not, you know, not to be the case either. Yes, these substances are, you know, illegal. Um, but at the same token, don't, isn't it true that most people do use them occasionally and not continuously well yeah you know um something like 90 i just saw this a statistic yesterday from somebody and it was that 90 percent of drug users don't have a problem right like they don't meet yeah. the threshold for addiction so we know you know and, it, and in, it's actually kind of higher there it's almost like there's less drug users have problems than alcohol users have yes, problems in terms true. of percentages. That's true. So there's nothing inherent about a drug. Um, you know, there was the idea that, you know, you smoke one, hit a crack and that just lights up your pleasure center like right. crazy and you just keep, you can't stop. And Carl Hart showed that that's wrong. Yeah. And, um, an experience shows that that's wrong. I, smoked crack a few times when I was really into heroin and other things. And I was like, ah, I don't really like this. <laughs> you know, right. yeah. it was like, I, it was something I had in moments of desperation when I really just wanted to get high and couldn't yeah. get anything else. But, um, but yeah, so we, there, if you look for it, the problem, the reason why there's not really good statistics about people going from say a heavy, cocaine habit to moderate cocaine habit 
uh, is because they just don't look for it. And there was one big study where they looked for moderate heroin use in the 1970s. And the people who funded it, which was one of the government organizations and some like independent, you know, anti-drug foundation, they thought that what the researcher was going to find was that anybody who moderately uses heroin eventually progresses to heroin addiction. And he didn't. He found the opposite. He found former heroin addicts who were had used moderately after having a period where they fit the sort of guideline the the diagnosis for addiction after that they began to moderate and they moderated for something like seven years right and so it was a very long (laughs) study you know and so he found all of these people and found that indeed you know that that you know it's not always a progression to that and even former you know addicts of heroin can use it moderately now i know this is like putting a bomb out there to say especially towards the end i was just thinking this (laughs) but but so they're not gonna look after that experience of what norman zinberg found with with the heroin users no this is not on anybody's agenda to find that people can moderately use meth after having have a, had a problem with it or cocaine or what have you, right? Any of the drugs. Um, nobody, 80% of the world's research is funded um, by NIDA, the National Institute on Drug Abuse, 80% of the research on drugs and addiction. It's not on their agenda. They're not going to fund any studies to find out about people returning to moderate use from the the drugs that they're well, busy I, demonizing I, every day. I want to, you know? yeah, I want to cut into that. And the reason for that is important for people to know is because the agenda is furthering the disease concept, this sham, yeah. because they support treatment, which is a $36 billion industry. That isn't going to go away. So people are victimized by that misinformation. It's important for people to know that, and I, this is really vital that people listen to this. Once you believe you can't moderate, you can't. That's really important. If you, you, you could have started out thinking, hey, I can stop anytime I want to. But when you're, when you're taught that you can't, you can't if you believe that. And so there's a massive amount of information or misinformation out there pushing that agenda. And you start to second guess yourself. I know this because I've gone through it myself. I grew up in an AA household. And I can remember thinking when I was 14 years old, oh, I can stop this anytime I want. And I, 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 unfortunately, I said that to some people that were AAs. Right, and so boy, then you're in denial. Yeah, yeah. then I got <laughs> lambasted. And the next year of my life was them telling me how, how crazy I was to even think of it and, and that it's dangerous. Now, with, with that said, uh, if you are, are sitting there thinking to yourself, I don't know, I, I am on heroin and I don't think I can moderate. Well, then you can't. Okay, if you believe that, you can't. And, and so here's my advice for, for people in that pool because um, that pool is deep with uh, our podcast listeners because they're seeking out a different solution. I would suggest you read our book because it's the definitive manual on the research that shows you that not only can you moderate if you want to, it defines what wanting to moderate is about. So, so 
we keep going back to that because I, I it's really vital because people get caught in this this idea that uh, moderation is something that um, is out of their grasp and and you need tools to do it. There's no tool. It's just you. Do you want to moderate or do you believe in the magical powers and the mythology behind the drug of choice that you happen to ingest? If you believe that it provides you these magical things, you will continue to use it because that romance is so, so alluring. It's the romance that you've created that is alluring. The drug has no power. It's not alive. It can't yeah, the heroin that goes in my veins is no different than the heroin that goes in everybody else's veins. It's, it's, it's opium. It's the same compound. So why can I walk away from it and have no desire for it? Even if I use it, let's say I have surgery and I have a ton of opium at my disposal, I don't, I, it doesn't drive me to go get high. It doesn't because I don't it romance most about people, it. people, right. by the way. Yeah, it's, the it's... vast majority of people. That's exactly right, Michelle. The vast majority of people that, that take painkillers don't get high, contrary to what you hear, uh, by the likes of NIDA. So, so I, I think it's really, really, really important to know that the tools that you're looking for are the attributes that are the three pillars of the freedom model, which is free will, your autonomy, and your pursuit of happiness. But if your pursuit of happiness includes the romanticized value of drugs, it's going to be awfully hard to let it go. And you just have to learn how to be honest about that. And we, we go into that technique throughout the book, which is just learning about it. Well, I think we have to wrap up. Steve, do you have any last words you want to say? Um, well, yeah, I think um, just because we say you can moderate doesn't yes. mean you should, right? Right, yep, You exactly. should do what's going to work best for you in your life. And the other thing I think is that if you are, if you return to the same situations looking at drugs the same way um, and you think you're going to use them differently you're wrong <laughs> you know yeah. um, yes. you need to somehow look at the substances differently um, and and if that's say like you know like let's say you know you you well you know I, I won't go into it I won't delve into examples you need to look at the substances differently and value them differently if you're going to expect to have some different pattern of use. Yeah, that's right. And, and uh, it's important also to know that uh, Michelle, myself, and Steve, who wrote the book, all were immersed in the treatment paradigm. Yep. All of us were ardent AAers at one time. And all of us walked out of that nonsense when we learned the truth. And it is nonsense. Although I, I get that some of our listeners are in that, and that may sound rude or dismissive. It's not. It was really harmful to us to be it a was. part of that. In many ways. Yeah. It was devastating to our lives. And then, and and I stayed sober in AA. I went to over 3,000 AA meetings in my lifetime. I know the paradigm. Believe me. I know what it's like to be immersed in that cult. Um, as does Michelle, as does Steve. But here's the point. When we learned the truth and wrote it down, it freed us. And, and that's a wonderful thing. I'm a moderate drinker. 
I drink, I don't know, a couple times a month probably. But I don't sit and count it like Steve described. I don't sit there and say, oh, I can only have two drinks. I, I, it's, it's, it's inconsequential to my life. It's so, I don't even think about it um, because it's no different than any other choice because the mythology and the mysticism is gone. Exactly. It's been cleared away. And I see alcohol for what it is, which is a simple sugar. I don't use drugs because they're illegal and I just don't really like them. You know, I didn't, even when I was getting high, I didn't really like that as much as booze was my mainstay. So, But you're not scared to take an opiate if you get surgery. No, no, I've taken plenty of opiates when I've had surgery. It's, <laughs> exactly. I have, I'm not going to sit in pain. That's, that's, yeah, that's ridiculous. absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> so I just want to make the point that we actually live what we're, what we're teaching and, and we live in total peace and there's no fear of substances in our lives. Yeah. And a lot of people have, have online read about, uh, you know, I was abstinent for 20 years um, from alcohol and really started drinking again to prove to myself that I could because the, you know, even going through all the, all the research that I did and the deprogramming that I did, quite frankly, I was still had this, there was still this weird little niggling thing in the back of my brain that was a little bit fearful of, of alcohol, like it had some magical power over me. Um, and I had to get rid of that completely. So for me, you know, I had to run my own experiment. I had seen tons of people um, who were just as bad or worse than I was, you know, successfully moderate, but I needed to know for sure. And um, and like Mark said, my, my whole, you know, I don't, I, and Steve said it too. I don't. I don't want to alter my mood every day, all day. I, I you know, I, I enjoy drinks, and the truth is, I probably drink more than Mark does. I, you know, I'm 50 years old. I'm a woman. I enjoy a glass of wine in the evening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's I'm a cliche that way. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I, you know, I don't. But I don't crave getting drunk anymore. I've changed the way I think about alcohol. I know what it can and can't do. Um, and, and so, and I know that it has no power. Um, and it's, it seems now looking back absurd that I ever thought it had know, any power. Yeah. Um, the truth really does set you free. It really, really it makes does. you realize that it's really up to you. So, so anybody and, that, and yeah. You know what? I think another thing people got to remember is, um, that, that, uh, you know, there's great reasons to abstain and yes. there's great reasons to moderate. You can make a case for both Absolutely. of those things and neither has to be for life. You know, right. at some points in your life, it's really wonderful to abstain. Mm-hmm. I loved abstinence for Me too. four and a half years. Me too. I, I did it. Absolutely yeah, did. wonderful, you know, but so, but I think the something about your mindset has to change and nobody can do that for you. Nobody can give you a special technique. Like Mark said, we give people the information that can be very helpful to that. But I would like look at people who use drugs or alcohol and don't have problems. Yeah. And 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 look at the way that you know, if you know, if you get a chance ask them, you know, what do you like about it? And what do you like to use it for or whatever? And, and, you know, try to dig into what it represents to them. Because when I was an addict, you know, and I say that meaning I was a person who had the mindset of an addict, yep. I believed that drugs, and I know everybody is not this extreme, but I believe that drugs were just the key to happiness. 
Yeah. I needed to be high all the time, you know, and and there is nothing better. I just believe there is nothing better. And I am not that person now. You know what I mean? Yes. And the mindset did change. And that's why I was able to moderate. And and I, I want to end with this also. Statistically speaking, if you I like to look at ideas from a macro point of view. If you look at populations of people, it's not happenstance that as you get older the incidence of addiction goes down right and in other words as we grow older and the context of life gets larger the context of getting a buzz gets smaller it's just the way human life works and uh you know at at 80 years old we don't like the things we liked at 50 and at 50 years old we don't like the things we liked at 10 That's because we mature out of things and we grow as people. And addiction is a young man's or woman's sort of fixation, and it it dwindles with time. And if if, if treatment didn't exist, if the disease charade didn't exist, uh, we would see that people would get over this much quicker and with less fanfare. And uh, the population of actually addicted people that are with troubled and problematic use would go down. Uh, dramatically. That's all we're trying to do with the freedom model is reverse the trend of what treatment is actually selling. And, uh, and I think we've done a good job with that. Yes. Thank you guys so much. Um, this has been a great podcast. And if you have questions, you can reach us on our website at uh, www.thefreedommodel.org. Um, you can call us here at 888-424-2626. We're happy to talk with you. We're happy to help. You can see us on our Facebook page, which is the Freedom Model. And, um, and we each have our own pages as well. So, so thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Take care, everybody. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Addiction Solution Podcast brought to you by the Freedom Model. You can send your questions, comments, or topics you'd like us to talk about to podcast at thefreedommodel.org. If you enjoyed this show, please share it with your friends. If you are struggling or you know someone who is, the Freedom Model can help. Call 888-424-2626 or go to thefreedommodel.org to see which option may be right for you. If you're specifically seeking a residential retreat, you can check out soberforever.net. Once again, that's soberforever.net.